0: If making money makes me a better person, I believe if I have this much money, I become a success. Then there's something about how you define your own self-value and self-worth that's worth questioning. Because does that mean someone in the slums of Kolkata who has no money is worthless?
1: Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name is Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F Word Podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the Most Hated F Word. Welcome back to the Most Hated F Word Podcast. For new listeners, welcome. Today, we have a fascinating conversation with Carlos Saba. Before we get into the show with Carlos, if you have been enjoying the show and would like to show your appreciation, I would ask if you can head over to Apple Podcast and leave a review. It definitely helps bring guests on the show and helps us know you're enjoying the conversations we're having. So Carlos, Carlos is a self-proclaimed recovering perfectionist and overthinker on a journey to embrace an emergent way of living that lies on his instincts as much as his intellect. He wants to help others on a similar journey to find more clarity about the work they need to do and who want to create a positive impact in the world by being themselves. This is a learning journey from the inside out, learning about what drives us and motivates us, learning about new ideas and wishes, and learning how we can fulfill them by helping others doing good in the world what an impactful bio when i read that bio to myself i thought wow this guy has practiced some self-reflection this guy knows what he wants from his inside out and throughout the conversation you will hear the level of clarity that carlos has for himself and his journey but you'll also know he recognizes that he doesn't always have this journey figured out And I really appreciated that during our conversation as several times he brought up the fact that he's really trying to bring conscious awareness and intentional decision-making to his work, his life, etc. But he knows he doesn't always have it figured out. And there's a beauty in that. Carlos talks a lot about how embracing this self-reflection has allowed him to create a happy and healthy relationship with money. And in doing so, it's helped lead him to his current project and his current business, the Happy Startup School, where he helps people how to do good business, how to be happy and make money all at the same time. Sometimes these three are so siloed, but Carlos and his partner Lawrence have created a model that help people understand that we can do good business. We can be happy and make money all at the same time. Carlos explains throughout the conversation how we can continue to highlight those creative and playful parts of ourselves and again, still create a profitable business that does good in the world. So I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation with Carlos Saba. Carlos, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad that you're here as well. We were just having a conversation before and you made my, my difficulty on how to proceed with a camera very easy. So thank you. Anyhow, I'm not going to get That's into that. It's the beauty that. of serendipity, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. This has been going back and forth. But anyhow, instead of talking about my camera, I think we should jump back to a chapter of your story. Back in 2015, If the internet is correct, I believe at this point in your life story, you are running a successful company. From perhaps a social construct perspective, you have made it. You were running a profitable business. You had clients. Things were going well. Yet, you decided to close this profitable business to start a new business with really, from what I understand, no clear path forward on how you were going to make money. As you sit here six years or so late, Or later, yeah. When you reflect back on this decision, what was the discomfort that led you to, I guess, go into the unknown of starting a business with no clear path of how to make money? So what was that discomfort and where was it coming from?
0: So to point out the contrast or to to underline what you said in terms of that contrast, from a business perspective, we were executing on the well-known agency model where... We have a set of skills, we sell our time for money to clients who want to benefit from those skills, and we tightly run our projects to make sure that they are profitable. And while that generated revenue and profit, it was also very draining. The realities of agency life is there are generally a particularly small agency, founder-managed agencies. It's a peak and trough experience. You win the project, money comes in, you work really hard, you come towards the end of the project, you see the money slowly slowly going away, you didn't have to try and pitch the hell out of for the next project. And so unless you're very well organized, that becomes a bit of a roller coaster. We're fairly well organized and we managed to always get the clients in, but energetically it was challenging. And then for my business partner and I, we were discovering that we were using all of our creative energies for other people's work. Not only that, a lot of the time that creative energy wasn't always appreciated because of how wedded our clients would be to their ideas or their ways of seeing the world. And so there's not a lot of emotional satisfaction despite there being financial reward. And it got to a point where that situation was not sustainable. Because the draining of energy also resulted in the draining of creativity. For myself and my business partner, creativity and learning were too important to not have within our work and our lives. And there was an opportunity to meet those needs, those emotional needs, those core needs, even though we didn't know how we're going to meet them financially. And that was through starting the Happy Startup School. Though we did have some ideas, though. It wasn't that we jumped into it, into it without any idea of how to make money. We weren't sure whether that was going to be a sustainable, scalable
1: business model. Thank you for that. You know, you touch on such interesting points. And I want, I want to go on the creativity and learning were important core needs, to use your words. It seems to me, often in conversations I have in around our relationships with money is that there's this unconscious or sometimes even consciously misalignment of core needs and where our time is spent or our money is spent. And often I've observed it comes from perhaps a lack of clarity of what your core needs are. So for yourself and Lawrence, your, your partner, how are you guys becoming so clear on those core needs? Because sometimes, and I, I say this even in businesses, our heads are down What you described is energetically uh, challenging, draining. We often feel that whether it's because we're starting a business or we're just living busy lives and we get so distracted, we don't take the time and space or hold our own space to find those core needs. So how, how did you guys become so clear on those needs that you acted on them?
0: So we started the Happy Startup School in 2012. So we were running it in parallel with our agency for three years. Over that time, while we were on this kind of mission at the time of trying to make business more purposeful and putting happiness at the core of a business model, we were meeting more and more people who were question, who would question the profit-only motive. And even when it came to purpose, it's like, what does that mean? What is beneath this idea of purpose? What's behind a company and behind the company are people? And some of those people are the leaders or the founders. And those leaders, the founders, while they think they're driven by money, as we were told, they're also driven by other things. They're driven by needs. And those needs motivate action. Learning about this language of needs is what helped us get more clear. It wasn't a sudden revelation or epiphany. It was a slow burner. But what helped was that it started to allow us to articulate what didn't feel right. So a lot of the time, what didn't feel right was the fear of not meeting payroll, the fear of not growing, the fear of not being a successful agency. But those were just uncomfortable feelings that we could only articulate with one word, fear. When in fact, when we were able to expand our vocabulary a bit more through the help of friends and people who were, we were discovering why talking about purpose and profit and people and products. We met more coach type people, people who would question our motivations and understand what, what is it? How do you articulate what's wrong other than say you're scared? And I can remember talking to or learning about nonviolent communication and using the language of needs to understand why we feel a certain way. It's you know, why we have certain feelings. And so what we discovered through just understanding more about that we put words to these feelings that we were aware of because i think some people aren't aware of these feelings they don't spend time understanding what's what's actually going on for them and i'll talk a bit more how we did that but anyway we we were able to say all right there are feelings here those feelings we understand are tied to needs and through that we discovered actually these needs are learning play and friendship we were Doing bigger and bigger projects, the kinds of clients that we were working with were investing more and more money and so they were under more and more pressure. And so there was a much more transactional relationship coming out from that because of the pressure. They maybe had investors as well. The need to hit targets didn't give us space to try things out. So we weren't able to play as much. The transactional relationship meant where was the friendship? To create some certainty, we couldn't do things completely in a wild fashion. If we're going to build a business that we can predict costs, we needed to have processes, which meant a level of repeatability, which sometimes you spend so much time on processes you forget to learn new things. You get wedded to the certainty of a process. So that agency model was not meeting those needs of learning, play, or friendship. So it's either stick, whatever that meant, or twist,
1: and whatever that meant. As you speak, I can... I mean, I can even sense it in the, your demeanor. You have a, a calm sense to you. And just the, the word choices you're choosing, it seems like reflection, like self-reflection, perhaps was a, a big part of your process of understanding those core needs and recognizing that, hey, there's no more play happening at this point. And certainly, I, I believe were you re- referring to the book Nonviolent Communication?
0: Yes. Yes, yeah. what,
1: what a great book to give us the, the language to express. How we're feeling. I want to go on this play because I think it's really fascinating that I alluded to this idea of there's this intoxication of money that just consumes us and makes us tight fisted, contracts our views, and eliminates sometimes the ability to play. And and so, like, we all have this relationship with our relationship with money. And for most of us, we don't spend that time to reflect, to understand the feelings underneath that relationship with money. And due to our worldview, our prior life circumstances, our family, our culture, et cetera, it shapes this unconscious relationship we have with money. So when you look back at Carlos' pre-happy startup school, where I quote you from your bio, when you hadn't recovered from being a perfectionist, what would you say Carlos' relationship with money was at that point? And what is it now if you can pinpoint something on your current relationship with money that has allowed you the permission to play more.
0: And I wouldn't say I'm totally free of this, but a strong relationship that I had, or what I would think of money as money was safety. Money was security. And also what I've inherited, I realized I've inherited from my father, money was choice. More money, more choice. More money, more security. More money, more safety. I would feel incredibly safe when the bank balance hit a certain amount of money. I'm aware of that as well now. It's like, okay, when that number's there, I can relax. And as soon as it starts to fall down, i I can feel the the fear and the sense of like, oh no, what's going to happen. And so at that time, when we were running the agency, you know the the peaks and troughs of revenue was always a challenge. And what, even though I, was, that I had that relationship to money and there was that sense of like, okay, if I don't have enough money, I might be in danger. It didn't override my, I was going to say my sense of adventure, but I think override my other needs. And so I, I you know, I think of when, when I start thinking about money and needs and meaning or the meaning we put on money, I, I go to Maslow's hierarchy and... While I associated money to security, I still also had a belief that I could do things even if my money started to go away. I, I had ways of getting money back in the way. I hadn't really freed myself from this relationship to money, but I, there was a sense, I had a, a sense of empowerment or belief. And also there's a sense of you know safety and trust. I had, you know, parents who I knew could help me out if the worst came to the worst wife that was working, I'd made some useful choices in my early, my professional life to know that there was some money somewhere that I could get if I needed it. At the same time, I also was very aware how my future choices or how we would play with the business would be very much governed by my relationship to money. And so, well, there's two things It's interesting. One's a bit woo-woo and one's, I think, a bit more grounded, for want of a better term. So the grounded one is I, I just trust my abilities a bit more. Also, I, I believe I can be happy to live with less. You know, should I need to downsize? Should, I, I feel I could cope with that. The woo aspect of this is that on the grand scheme of things, looking at my life in comparison to the infinity of the universe, it's like, what does this all mean anyway? Why am I worrying about Having enough money when I die or having enough money is like, yes, I don't want to be poorly and not have choice to look after myself. But at the same time, you know, I can somehow mitigate that without money by just being physically healthy and making good health choices. But the size of my bank balance on my deathbed, is that a massive issue compared to many other things? And if when I die and I don't have enough in the bank... What does that mean about me? Does that have to mean anything? So there's a kind of a broader context that I try and look at money in, in order to free myself
1: from some of those fears. You know, right from the start of you answering that, I appreciated how you said, I can't exactly remember the exact frame, but basically you said, but I don't have it totally figured out. It makes it you a human because I think this is a journey that we all don't actually figure out. And perhaps, and I don't want to sound like a judgment, but perhaps if we think we figured it out maybe that's an indication for some more internal reflection because this money thing is it's hard and and all of these conversations i always like to say that it's they're not centered around this idea that money is evil money is necessary we need it to you talked about you have a child children cost money you have some wonderful lights blinking and those cost money it's this idea of freeing ourselves from the vices that could unconsciously be happening around a relationship with money. And I really just, again, I hear this like reflection and this ability for you to self-reflect. And I think perhaps that's one of the ways that we can start to create a healthier relationship with money is through the self-reflection. And we often talk on this podcast is like untangling or untethering ourselves from this very confusing, complex, disorganized system of money inside of ourselves. And I really hear that, that you've done a lot of internal work on that and it comes through to what you're saying. So I appreciate that. And, you know, when you say the the woo-woo, I feel like there's something about this intuition that is so powerful that we call woo-woo or not backed by evidence-based research, but there's something, something there. And I just want to dive a bit deeper into... At the You said, what does this mean at the end of my life if I didn't have enough money? What does it mean for Carlos to be able to say that? To actually say, you know, what does this mean? To be in question and not be feared by that thought. Actually, what springs to mind is a little story.
0: I used to keep a diary when I was a teenager, mainly filled with teenage angst of, why doesn't she love me? (laughs) But one of the things I remember writing down is by the age of 30... I want to be a doctor, a millionaire, and a black belt in martial arts. I got the black belt. I got a PhD in physics. So kind of a doctor. You're a doctor. But I never became a millionaire. And my reflection was like, that was a measure of success for me. The amount of money in the bank was going to be a measure of how successful I was. And I realized it didn't happen because I failed. It didn't happen because it wasn't important enough to me. The accumulation of money wasn't enough of a driver for me to be fixated on it. And it wasn't like I couldn't do it. I was a physicist. I could have easily gone into finance and hedge funds or whatever it is, using my math knowledge to make money. But I instinctively knew that that wasn't something that was going to make me happy. And so when I think about the on my deathbed, having enough money or having a certain amount of money. So on one hand, there's this idea of like, will my kids be okay? You know, will they have enough money to then do what they need to do? Can I pass something on? And then I think, well, if I bring up just really resilient, creative, empowered kids, they'll be able to make their own money. Well, if I leave with enough money, will that show that I'm, you know, I've had a successful life? Well, what would it mean to accumulate that money and not spend it on travel? And learning and creative practices or experiences that I will enjoy in the moment and so I think I've always instinctively felt that money wasn't the measure of success I just had to unlearn the things people had told me about it to then slip back to what I kind of knew and going don't get me wrong I will meet up with friends and other people I know who have high-powered jobs or have the lovely massive house or the wonderful Tesla, I go, oh, maybe maybe I need that. And then I go away and I come back home and I meet with other people and I actually wasn't, I I forgot about it already. Mm -hmm. And I I, I actually want to apologize about the way I talk about woo-woo because it seems a bit disparaging. Being a scientist, I have put a lot of value on objective measures of things and a common understanding of phenomena. And I'm slowly becoming more aware and putting more value to the subjective nature of our experience and how just because you don't sense it doesn't mean it's any less important or valuable or true to me.
1: I appreciate that comment. You know, I'm taking a master's right now, actually from the UK, I'm researching money and happiness. And I've been so far out of the academic world that research evidence based wasn't always something that I thought about. But now you have to nature of a master's program. There are times where, of course, you know, you want to make sure something's grounded in science. And but I, I do feel like there's this other part of intuition that could be play that can't be always discredited. Now, there's both sides of each, so we don't need to go down there. But I, I appreciate that. It's, it's having a blend of both and it comes back to balance. I want to get into the happy startup school and the work you're doing. And I've got some specific questions around there. But I'm following my intuition now. And I'm going to ask if you want to try to play on something that I think, based on your answers, might be a benefit to you. And we could take this out if it doesn't go well. So there's this gentleman named George Kinder. He's an artist, photographer, and poet that went to become an accountant. Realized, whoa, artist and poet and accounting don't work. He transitioned to become financial planning, but he created this thing called life planning. He's been doing it for like 40 years, but it's basically create a life and then try to fund it. I like it because it's let's live and then let's use money because money is, you know, it's important. If, if I really value environmental and sustainability, then maybe that Tesla hit my core needs if I have self-reflection. And I know it's not just to drive down the neighborhood and wave, look at what I'm able to buy. So he came up with these three questions that are really, really interesting. And I'm, I'm going to ask you them. It's basically all about the last question, but I need to ask you the first two. So let's say that you you want a million dollars or won the lottery. Money's not an issue. Probably more than a million dollars now. What would you do with that money? It doesn't have to be complex because we're building up to the third question.
0: Well, there's definitely something around travel. I would use it to travel. There's somehow making sure those close to me and near to me are secure. For, for That's another instinctive thing that comes up for me. But other than that, there's nothing else that I would change. I would continue doing what I'm doing, but just maybe be more free and creative with it.
1: Now, you go to your annual checkup, but the doctor says, you know, Carlos, I've got unfortunate news for you. You have five years left to live. The good news, five to 10, actually, it's five to 10. The good news is you're not going to feel ill. You're going to be healthy, but you have five to 10 years left. How, if anything at all, did that does that answer change from the previous question?
0: My gut feeling is it doesn't. If I'm going to live till that last day with the health and fitness that I have in the moment, I don't feel the need to change the world. I don't feel the need to make anything massive. I've, I just feel the need to enjoy my life in whatever way that means and to, have, and to be a source of joy and happiness for people around me.
1: I like that answer. And the last one is you go back to the doctor a year later to check up on everything. And he says, you know what, Carlos, I'm so sorry. I got everything wrong. You have 24 hours to live. This question isn't about what would you do. It's as you go home that night to reflect, are there things that you wish you would have become, things that wish you would have done? So again, you're not rushing out to do a whole bunch of things in 24 hours. You're just reflecting on who did you become or did you not become?
0: The first thing that sprang to mind, and I'll answer your question more specifically, was to just go home and just sit on the sofa with my kids and just enjoy being there. And because of that, I can't think of anything that was, oh, I wish I did that, or I wish that happened. I would be quite happy. I'd accept I did what I needed to do,
1: and I got to what I've got to. Thank you for playing. As you were answering previous questions, I felt like you were, with acceptance, answering that third question without even knowing what that third question was. So it was my own curiosity to see how that would go and... Yeah, I just feel throughout this conversation, I've, I've heard acceptance and for yourself and the ability to have clarity on what's important for you.
0: I've lived a lot of my life. I've realized trying to make things happen, been very successfully goal-oriented for a long, for a good stretch of my life. And I've come to a point where I don't, for various reasons, a bit of self-reflection, and I was just thinking about the world. I felt I needed to change the world when I was younger. And what's happened is the world has changed me in the sense that I've realized how complex and challenging and difficult things are to make happen. And some things also just effortlessly change on their own. And so I'm in this place now where I think I'd rather than trying to force things and plan and, and make things happen in a certain way, how can I be more present with where I am at the moment to then choose the, the most opportune and least effortful path that feels of benefit rather than of harm?
1: Seems like the, the journey of moving from the human doer to the human being. Mm, very much. That's the, the wish. As I was preparing for this, I got the sense that you have this contentment and this peace with where you are. This is a question that stems from my own personal curiosity, because this is something that I, I always strive to do. And I don't, I by no means have it figured out, but you work with entrepreneurs. The perspective we have around entrepreneurs, especially born out of Silicon Valley and the tech industry is rise and grind and work, 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 recognize that, hey, there's a profitable business over here and then design it. Spend all your time, focus on that business so hopefully one day it can be bought by a venture-backed capital firm. And so this idea that there's not really balance in there, it's very much work, 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 work. With your ethos in your business centered around doing good, being happy, and building a business, how have yourself or people in your community, how have you been able to observe them balance this idea of content, like being content with ambition? Because I think you it's not one or the other, but I'm super curious on how you blend that.
0: It's Quite interesting. Like, I remember having a conversation about this 10 years ago. And the topic was, can you be ambitious and happy? Which is essentially what you're saying there. And I didn't, I was struggling with that. Like you said, if you're content, you're happy with your lot, why strive for more? We run a yearly festival here in the UK called our Happy Startup Summer Camp. And a few years ago, a lovely woman called Christine Keasley was talking and she had this wonderful phrase that I, I will never forget. It's like, I'm enough and I can want more. And so if I'm building the next unicorn startup because then I will be enough, then I think there's a challenge. If I can start from a place of I'm enough, I don't need to do this because it will validate me, but I'm doing this because I'm interested. I'm curious. I'm doing this because there's something here that I want to play with and experience. Or, But if it doesn't work out, I'm still fine. If you call it balance or integration or blending, I would say it's about intentional conscious choice based on an awareness of what that is going to give you. And I think this relates to this whole topic of money. It's like, if making money makes me a better person, I believe if I have this much money, I become a success. Then there's something about how you define your own self-value and self-worth that's worth questioning because... Does that mean someone in the slums of Kolkata who has no money is worthless you know for a while there was this judgment about the unicorn startup and the people who make lots of money it's like on one hand it's very easy to shoot down some of these very financially successful people particularly given the power and the the clout that they have by just tweeting or saying something or choosing some area of an industry to follow I'm also assuming that there are many other people who have made choices not based on proving themselves as people, but because they are wanting to just create things. And they are fantastic bosses, amazing entrepreneurs, and are just playing with the system that we have, that is capitalism, to make things happen. And so for me, it's not balance, it's not blend, it's like you were saying before, conscious self-reflection and choice, intentional choice about doing things that are not about your self-worth.
1: I, I really like how you, you, you frame that of maybe not balance, integration, but that conscious self-reflection and awareness and, and how you phrased that about not everyone is that stereotypical unicorn tech startup. And as you said that, I felt inside of me being like, oh, I feel like I had some judgments going on there. And so thank you for, uh, for how you answered that because it, it let me reflect like, wait, are you thinking that way? And, and maybe I am and to some degree, but it comes back down to this idea of self our conscious self-reflection. And I think this relationship with money or money stories is the same vein with we might have this view of the unicorn tech people are corrupt and evil. We also get that with money is if you have money you're evil comes back. There's people who have money who are. Wonderful people. There are people who have money who are evil. People. There are people who have no money who are evil, and so forth. And it comes back to the same idea of knowing ourselves. I think is the life's work. And if you could do it in a playful manner, hey, that's enjoyable. So let's talk about your interests right now. You have to do so many different things. Maybe we start with the, the happy startup school.
0: Like you said, Sean, we do a lot of things, and even that is a reflection of the need to have more conscious choice about what we do. <laughs> <laughs> Conscious use of our energy. I would say I'd like to maybe summarize it in this whatever we do, it's all along, all in service of this idea of a journey of a journey from the inside out. When I talk about entrepreneurship, I think of it as a spiritual journey, a journey of self discovery. And I think about the the dichotomy of the artist and the entrepreneur. And the way I phrase that is the entrepreneur looks outside of themselves for opportunities problems that need solving, people that need helping and seeing if there is a market opportunity there. So can I help them? Does it create value by helping them? Can I charge money? Does that turn into something that becomes a sustainable, profitable business? It's very much outside in. And then the artist end is like, I feel the need to create this thing. It's something that's so important to me or it's just, it's essentially I'm a channel. I'm a vessel for this thing. And so it comes out and I make it. And then it's like, who wants it? Do you want it? Do you want it? Does this work? Is this valuable to you? Do you like it? Stereotypical artist is that you die and then someone buys it. (laughs) Yeah, That's really valuable. So that's the inside out. It's like, I want, I I create this because I need to create it. And then it's a question is, does this also address the needs of others? With the entrepreneur, I find a need and then see if I can make something that satisfies that need. But I'm not sure if it meets my own needs. And so there's the potential for burnout there. I'm always working for other people. So this thing is like for us it's like how do we marry these two worlds? How do we are we veered towards maybe the artist end of the spectrum? How do we discover what? How do we create this self awareness about where we play best? What are our superpowers? What's our zone of genius? What is it that we want to create for our own for ourselves? What would we love it if for our lives? A bit like your life planning example. What does that look like? And then how do I do the work? What work do I do that meets the needs, my own needs, and the needs of the people that will pay me money? So that becomes an energizing, virtuous circle rather than something that depletes me. To do that, like you said, there's a bit of self-reflection. We need to take time out. We need to pause. And so one of the things we do is we take people to the French Alps on our altitude retreat, and we spend a week with other fellow entrepreneurs and professionals and changemakers to get away from the day to day, to be in an environment that gives you a really strong sense of perspective, not necessarily just in your view of the world, but even just physically, when you're stood next to a massive mountain, you start to appreciate size. And then that creates a sense of humility. And then that creates a sense of self-reflection and a space to start asking questions and maybe even answering questions that you don't necessarily get a chance to ponder on when you're at the grindstone. To another level, we do this happy startup, Summer Camp, which I've talked about. It's a a festival of ideas. I think someone said if Ted and Burning Man had a love child, it would be something like Summer Camp. And it is a combination of inspirational speakers or even, I don't want to besmirch the speakers. They're normal human beings doing really interesting things and we give them a platform for their stories. Not because they are on a pedestal, but they are people just like us. And so to have a space like that over three days where you can hear something that then allows you to give space to question something for yourself. And then again, this whole journey from the inside out, understanding what is it that you would like to contribute, given what you see others are contributing. And then we have our online community where we connect people who are from across the world who can't necessarily get to summer camp or been to summer camp, but they just want to connect with the people they met there and a chance to just self-serve on this process of learning where they we share lots of tools and resources where they can learn about happiness, purpose, pricing, marketing, these things that are integral to building a business, but done in a way that isn't just purely about objective metrics and numbers, but also energetically what feels right. And then the in-between is why we try and guide people. We get the essence of altitude where we have 20 interesting experienced people together, but we take them on a virtual journey. It's a group coaching program called Vision 2020. And that is us walking side by side with them on this journey from the inside out, where we talk about leading with needs, really inquiring about what is it I really want talking about a story of change. What is the change that I've experienced that's going to be benefit for others? What is the story that connects others to me? And what is the story that inspires people to make change in their own lives? And how can I help that change? And then this happy money. How can I make happy money? And it's very much talking to this conversation here around, what is my relationship to money? And also, how do I talk about money with my customers so that it makes sense to them that they pay me what I need? Not what's fair, in inverted commas, or what's the right price or what makes them feel happy. It's like, makes sense. Because we all have our own logics around what is the right amount of money to pay for something. And sometimes what feels uncomfortable for me is nothing to someone else and having that awareness. And the final thing is, how do we work out loud? How do we share our thinking? How do we share our malformed ideas with others in a way, a way that is vulnerable, but also Invites connection. So whether that is marketing something that we've made and we've a product or a service, or whether it's actually a just new idea, it's crazy idea. In the same way that we launched a Happy Startup School, we had no products or services. We had just had a manifesto. This is what we believe, and we're going to share writing about things that we're curious. We didn't have a mission statement. We had a mission question: How do you make money, do good, and be happy? What does that mean? And then that was an invitation for others to connect with us and to teach us as well as get help from us. So that's the roundabout way of sharing what we do.
1: I get this feeling that you guys, uh, just this idea, you don't have a mission statement, a mission question. Like, it sparks a little joy in me because it, it, it radiates that, hey, we don't have this, totally figured out but we're curious we're playful we're exploring and we're going to probably find something more profound just having that learner mindset and it just seems like you guys are creating this like environment that is accepting where people are going to be feel heard safe like we talked about earlier safety is so important so that they can play explore and I got that sense even when you explained about the speakers like it's not like these speakers are up on the pedestal they're part of it they have a good story but it's the whole environment that you guys are creating that I think what I'm hearing can help people come in and really play I'm curious if you can explain and I'm be mindful of our time here explain what have you observed people's journey are when they come in and they come out if you can kind of pinpoint some observational Changes, if anything at all. So I think one archetype for one of that term,
0: is they come in with a very fixed idea, right? It has to be this, it has to be done in this way, it has to make this much money in this much time, and I just need to execute with lots of assumptions and also wedded, basically, I've invested my credibility in making this happen or even my self-belief in making it happen. To then leaving with, I don't need to know the answers. I don't necessarily need to know what it's going to look like in the end, but I need to know what it is I'm going to get out of this. How is it going to serve me, not in terms of money, but just in terms of this longer journey of living a life that is aligned and happy. And then what can I play with? What can I experiment with? Who can I connect with? How can I invite people in? to help me crystallize what needs to be done, which is essentially the lean startup. You know, you just test, iterate, learn, but in a less, I'm hoping, less what feels like a cold formulaic way and more of a kind of a personal journey of discovery. And so it's a linear to non-linear view of life, I would say is a very simple way of putting it, and a solitary to a more collective way of working. Where it's about not me having all the answers, it's about being among other people, where I can contribute and they can support me, and through that ecosystem—and even ecosystem—I don't like that word—but just through that connection and that shared experience, that and that shared broader experience of life and entrepreneurship, being able to find my groove or f- discover it. So that's, I think, for me, the
1: biggest shift is like, I need to make this happen to, okay, let's do this together. It sounds like it's just releasing the tight-fisted grips that we have once held and letting people feel like grow and kind of with the environment that you create build capacity in them to see the world in a different way through their own lens. Carlos, I have a, a final question that I ask everybody. In essence, we've, we've asked it for the last sixty minutes, but let's imagine you're at end of life and you're on a front porch wherever brings you peace and happiness. You're looking out at this lake, mountain, meadows, whatever brings you that peace and happiness and calmness. And you decide to write a letter to your children's children about what you learned on how to have a happy and healthy relationship with money. What would be the theme to that message?
0: The image that springs to mind, and I don't know how would I articulate this in a letter, is standing in a stream, beautiful sunny day. It's really hot, but the stream is really cooling and it feels very comfortable. And your hands are either side and the fingers out and the water is just flowing through your fingers, catching it, flowing it. But it feels good to let it flow. And that's money you're able to stand wherever you want or stand in straight and enjoy the heat and feel the cool brush of the water and that money is just giving you that sense of peace and freedom you're not holding it you're not losing it it's just flowing through your fingers and then with that yeah you have a choice to do wherever you want
1: that was there's another word i've been beautiful that depiction, I mean, I'm I'm resisting, but I'm just going to say that this summer we were camping and it was like 35 degrees for American listeners, 100 Fahrenheit, I don't know, 35 degrees Celsius, and there were we were there was a creek right by our campsite and it was shaded through the trees, so it was some reprieve from the heat, and the creek was really shallow, but it would flow quickly, and as you were saying that, I recall a moment holding both my kids' hands. And it was just running by our feet and it felt good because it was cool, but I I never drew the comparison with money. But as you were saying that, it just instantly took me back there. So thank you for that response.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I can picture exactly what you're saying as well.
1: Well, Carlos, this has been a very enjoyable conversation. For listeners wanting to find more about what you're up to, where would you point them to?
0: So the first place would be search for the Happy Startup School on Google and you will find us. Our website is the happystartupschool.com. And I would say, and I spend most of my time on LinkedIn. So it's just a case of searching Carlos Saba or Kung Fu Carlos and LinkedIn. Do that search. I'm sure you'll find me
1: there. I'll put all those in the show notes. And that's how I connected with you on LinkedIn. So thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you. It's, it's very, very enjoyable. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Sean.
1: Thank you for tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Carlos is a wonderful individual. I highly recommend you checking out his website and his podcast. Before you head out, if you can head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review, that would be greatly appreciated. Until next week, have yourself a good one. I'm on a mountain without a top. My wealth is measured in how I spend my time. Now I write freedom story with every breath inhaled. Money is not the boat of life, it's just the wind in the sail.